The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here. I know I always say I'm super duper excited about this guest, but this next guest, off the chart, super duper excited. We have a whole lifetime of history, and I'll tell you a little bit about Dr. Gaushi in just a second. Why do we even do these? Well, Leap Week 2023 will be July 16th to the 22nd at UCLA. What's Leap? LEAP is an entrepreneurship program for high school and college students aged 15 to 25 that we have taught at UCLA for the last 16 years. What do we teach? We teach students skills to be successful in life. And the coolest thing about LEAP is that I've asked so many of my celebrity patients and business leaders to come and help, and they do. We've had Mark Wahlberg, Paula Abdul, Michael Strahan, Kathy Bates, Anthony Hopkins, Apollo Ono, Eric Garcetti, Jason Alexander. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And these people come and share the secrets of their success with our LEAP students. Typically, we get about 500 to 550 students every summer, and we literally pack them with so much information. It's like drinking from a fire hose. And one of the parts that the students love most is when we bring in these mentors. So we started this Meet the Mentor series because we didn't want this to just be a one and done week. We wanted to do it throughout the year and continue to give these students great information from great mentors to teach them how to do businesses in every field you could ever imagine. So let me introduce you to my dear lifetime friend, Dr. Marianne Gaushi Hill. The hill part came because of me, too. We'll talk about that. <laughs> so, Marianne is the medical director for Los Angeles County Emergency Medical Services Agency, professor of clinical emergency medicine and pediatrics at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, and is the clinical facility director at Harbor UCLA General Medical Center. Marianne and I have known each other since we were 12 and 13. She's much older, <laughs> one year. <laughs> and we grew up in Granada Hills, California. We were literally neighbors growing up. We both went to the same junior high school, high school, and college, UCLA. At age three, we both, coincidentally, knew what we wanted to be. She wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a dentist. And then we grew up, and we actually did it. <laughs> She's internationally admired for her innovative work as a researcher and educator in the field of emergency and particularly pediatric emergency medicine. She's probably best known for her study of pre-hospital airway management for children published in JAMA 2000 and the National Pediatric Readiness Project published in JAMA Pediatrics in 2015. She was one of three developers of the first national curriculum for paramedics in pediatric emergency care, which has educated over half a million doctors and nurses in the United States and the world. 
She's won numerous national and international awards. If I read them all, we'd be here for like three more hours for her leadership and innovation in emergency medicine, pediatric emergency medicine, and emergency medical services. Dr. Gaoshi Hill is the immediate past president of the American Board of Emergency Medicine, board of directors, and has over 300 peer-reviewed publications, textbook chapters, reviews and abstracts to her credit, as well as over 1,000 invited lectures regionally and nationally and internationally. Her work has literally saved thousands of children's lives and will continue to save even more. Marianne, I call her Gauch. Thank you for being here. Um, what a nice introduction. What thank a career. You. I mean, and thank you. You, you know, one of the things I have to tell you, and I'm going to embarrass her. Of course. Marianne was a year <laughs> older than me. My goal in life was just to do everything Marianne did. I mean, she literally led the way. And, um, you know, I got the, the privilege of following her through life and following her path. And I think for me, probably one of the shiniest moments in both of our lives was I had the honor of nominating Marianne for Outstanding Senior at UCLA. So out of a class of 10,000, you know, she won that. She returned the favor and nominated me the following year. I never thought I would win it, actually, looking at her resume <laughs> and mine, but we both did. And then we have gone on to have these amazing careers. Okay, three years old, I want to be a doctor. What happened? <laughs> well, it's funny. I did tell my mom at age three I wanted to be a doctor and the first woman on the moon. Except you have vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Yeah, what happened when I was an intern, I developed vertigo. And this is when I applied for the astronaut program because my dad uh, was a West Pointer, as you know, and uh, a lifelong you know, pilot, served in multiple wars. And so I thought, this is a natural, I want to be an astronaut. You know, I'm not going in the Army, but I'd like to be an astronaut. But I ended up getting vertigo, which things happen in life, and you just have to readjust. So that was a disappointment. But I still became a doctor and, uh, and had a full career. I have to tell you, we have shared so much <laughs> in our lives. I mean, yeah. uh, unfortunately, Marianne started UCLA a year ahead of me, but I caught up, and we both tried out for the UCLA Spirit <laughs> Squad, and she was a cheerleader, I was a yell leader. We spent two years traveling the country doing that, which was a phenomenal growing experience for, for both of us. And I watched Marianne on her path to become a doctor, you went to UCLA Medical School. Yeah. And tell us what happened after. Well, first of all, the Spirit Squad was awesome because we got front row seats for all these just amazing sports teams. Uh, UCLA, we did football, basketball, baseball, <laughs> water polo. Everything. It was, it was crazy. But you want to know something crazy? I, I just I was at a lecture yesterday uh -huh. um, with these young entrepreneurs for students, and they were kind of saying, you know, you don't really need to go to college. You can... I so disagree. <laughs> it wasn't biology and chemistry and physics that made me successful. It was the growth experience 
I mean, yeah. probably one of the most valuable things I learned was with you when we wanted to go to the Notre Dame football game or basketball game and the school didn't have money and we made those buttons and we sold those <laughs> stupid buttons yeah. and raised all the money we needed to raise to go to the basketball game. I mean, that was my first like real entrepreneurial venture. <laughs> no, that was, it was creative for sure. And yeah, for me, I think uh, going to UCLA as an undergrad, I really wanted to go to UCLA med school and I did, I, I got in, it was great. I um, was very interested, I was a big runner, as you know, I ran a number of marathons and an ultra marathon, and I was very interested in exercise physiology, but I was also interested in the care of children. So I had these kind of, you know, both of these things going on simultaneously. I ended up uh, doing some research in exercise physiology and was very interested potentially in becoming a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. What ended up happening is I uh, matched at Harbor UCLA to do a year before I was going to go to the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York for orthopedic surgery. But when I got to Harbor UCLA, it was where I found my joy in medicine. What I really learned that I like to do is to figure out problems you know, problem solve. I loved Sherlock Holmes growing up. You were always the best problem solver, <laughs> always. Well, it, it turned out that is, you know, something I'm talented in is figuring it out because I listen to people, you know, what they're telling me. And I, I learned so much from them, from my patient that I could apply with my knowledge to help them. So I ended up at Harbor UCLA kind of mid-internship saying, and this was a bold move, you know, um, I said, you know, I really want to do emergency medicine. I love it. I love figuring things out. I realized that I didn't like going to the OR as much as I like being down there and figuring everything out. And the chaos, to me, was exhilarating. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that was crazy. So I ended up, it was, uh, I walked into the Department of Emergency Medicine and I said, hey, uh, I think I want to be an emergency physician. And they were like, oh no, <laughs> really? And I go, yeah. So they said, well, we're deciding tomorrow who's going to be in the class. So you've got to run around and get interviewed by everybody. And I was on call that day. And so I was trying to get somebody to cover me, which I did, and then I interviewed, and I had a friend write out, my name is Marianne Gaushi. I want to go to Harbor UCLA for emergency medicine, and they wrote a check for $10 to the National Resident Matching Program, and uh, I, ended up, I ended up getting in, and then you know, my life began and, you know, you never know where you're going to end up when you start. So, yeah. And you know, the crazy thing is like, I save teeth, you save lives. <laughs> so much bigger, you know, well, so much bigger. And well, both are important, right? You know? But, but I think the thing that really made your career stand out is in your whole problem solving scheme, you're sitting here and you're looking at all of these children not surviving when they're coming in for emergency care. And a lot of the problem was that the equipment was not made right. for kids. The medications were not dosed for kids. People didn't know how to 
give emergency care to children. And you really were one of the leaders in the world in that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of serendipity, right? You be in the right place at the right time. And I think for me, I kept seeing that there were issues and problems. And I said, well, they just need to be solved. I mean, somebody's got to do it. And so it, it, you know, really created my mission in life, which was to try to solve problems, figure out how to do it a little bit better, and then get some of the evidence behind it that will help drive change. Well, I mean, and statistics speak. I mean, you were just prior to this, you were telling me, you know, about the improvements. Maybe you can run through that and, yeah. and share that. Yeah, you know, I, I think... Um, I've always been really interested in research, so I've done quite a lot of research. And um, one thing that I realized early on was that, A, you know, many places didn't have equipment to care for children. They didn't have the education. Uh, they didn't have the policies, procedures. Literally in the 80s, you know, ambulances would drive up to the back of an ER and people would wave them off and say, not here, we can't handle a really sick kid, right? And, you know, EMS would have to keep driving. And I thought, okay, that's got to end. You know, we got to do something about that. So one of the things, uh, my mentor, so this is about mentorship, was uh, James Seidel. He was uh, MD, PhD at UCLA. He worked at, clinically at Harbor UCLA Medical Center. He and I hit it off, you know, that he goes, I really like where you're going. And he became my mentor. And one of the things, the research that I showed that there wasn't the equipment, he said, we need to develop standards for this. So he developed some standards for LA County for emergency departments. And I I took that nationally, right? I said, no, this has to be everywhere. And so I started working together, and uh, I know you and I have talked about this a lot, but no one does anything by themselves. It's always with collaboration. You, you have to not only value other people and their opinion, but then you need to be, you need to be able to communicate and why certain things are important uh, so that others join you. You know, if you have enthusiasm about what you do, someone else is going to go, I want to do that too. And so by being able to communicate and collaborate, I think I was able to work with, you know, these large national professional organizations that care for children, the American Academy of Pediatrics, American College of Emergency Physicians. And then later I got smart. I said, you know, we're a team in the emergency department. Let's get our nurses in. So the Emergency Nurses Association. And I ended up spearheading the development of national guidelines, uh, pediatric readiness guidelines for all emergency departments in the United States. And that was 2001. And that made a huge impact. You said four times. I mean, yes. run yeah. through those yeah, numbers no, again. Yeah, no, it's kind of crazy, but... So I always knew that this was a good thing, but we didn't have evidence behind it. But now we know that by being a, you know, in the highest quartile of pediatric readiness, that your ED will have four times less mortality for critically ill children and twice less mortality, two times less mortality, or half the mortality, if you want to look at it that way, uh, for trauma. And because of that, the American College of Surgeons now 
says you need to participate in this program, the National Pediatric Readiness Project Assessment, find your gaps and improve it in order to, you know, save lives for kids. But, but not just nationally. I mean, you've been all over the Middle East. I mean, you've been, yeah. how many countries have you gone and taught this at? I mean, you've reached over 500,000 physicians and nurses. Well, I think uh, I've been obviously in a number of countries. and then I mean, I remember you went to Iraq. Yeah, I've been, I worked. <laughs> well, what was fascinating about this is that I have a colleague, uh, Ross Donaldson, amazing MD, MPH, who really had worked with the International Medical Corps, and he was telling me about his work there as an emergency medicine development program to get emergency medicine physicians. And I said, well, what about the kids? And they go, well, you know, no, they don't do much with the kids, right? And I said, okay, time out. We gotta do something about the children. So I went over several times with him. We ended up training uh, everyone in uh, all the emergency medicine residents. I ended up teaching them pediatric advanced life support. I ended up having a collection for bag mask uh, devices so that they could do airway management, and we shipped those to Iraq. I worked with the uh, um, free wheelchair mission, and we got 20,000 uh, wheelchairs uh, sent to the country. It was really an amazing experience for me, and I, one thing that I realized going there twice, not only was it crazy dangerous, but the people we're just like you and I. I right. mean, they all want the best things for their families. And so for me, it was a real eye-opener. I remember something you told me. I, maybe you might even remember telling me this years ago. When, when you first started working in, in emergency medicine, um, you said, you know, one of the most important things is when a kid comes in, Ask the mother what's wrong, <laughs> you know, because so many doctors are are so like in the moment. They're trying to like just say, okay, what's wrong with little Johnny? Oh, I think he has measles because our neighbor had measles, and a lot of physicians don't even think of that. <laughs> well, it's really true. I mean, you re you have to listen to the parent, right? So, what's different about your child today? You know, I think it's important and. I, that's uh, one of the things that I've really realized as a, a take-home as a physician, you know, is you just listen to people because they'll tell you their story and you, you glean so much just from the history yeah. and the physical, you know. And one of my other, my other favorite Marianne stories is you told me about this young man that walked in with a knife in his chest. <laughs> And he said, it was actually his back. Oh, his back. He said, so he walked in. The he front. walked in. He said, I think I'm going to die. And then tell me what happened after that. <laughs> well, he was pointing to his back, and the person who greeted him couldn't see that he had a knife sticking out of his back. <laughs> and uh, said, You're going to have to go into the waiting room. You know, we, this is not, you can't just walk in, right? So he turned, <laughs> he turned to go to the waiting room, and I go, oh, my God. So we, uh, so we rushed him, him into a bed, and no, he did fine. He but tell him what did. you did, because this is with the Foley catheter and all that. This is, like, genius. Oh. You, you explained this to okay, me. Okay, now that, that, that was a different patient, oh, okay. a, a different stab wound. But um, what happened is a young man was stabbed in the chest, came in, <clears throat> 
and I examined him. He was stable at the time. I looked at his chest film, and I realized that his heart was enlarged, and I go, oh my gosh, I think he's got a pericardial effusion, which is blood around the heart, and when, when that happens, if it happens suddenly, you go into cardiac arrest. So I go, he's got a cardiac stab wound, and as soon as I said that, he went into cardiac arrest. So um, this, is, this is crazy. I'm telling you ER stories. I don't know if no, this it's is okay. what you this is interesting. Hear. But we ended up uh, opening his chest, and um, he had a hole in his heart, and I put in a catheter that we use uh, to drain urine out of your bladder. So this is a, basically a balloon. So what she did was she grabbed a little Foley catheter, a little balloon, stuck the balloon in there, and blew it up to stop the bleeding and save the kid's life. That's, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so what was crazy about that is he woke up totally like after I did that and we had given him blood. I mean, literally within a minute of stopping the bleeding in his heart and opening, you know, get, uh, basically decompressing his heart, um, he literally woke up. And we had to sedate him because, I mean, now his chest was... Right, but this kid has no idea how close he came to expiring. No, uh, those are one of those moments, you know, you only get a few of those in life where you just... You just know uh, you make a difference, and at the end, the whole team was high fiving, and we uh, and I, I uh, saw him up in in you know the hospital. He actually was out of the hospital within a week. Crazy. I know that was crazy story. What would you say has been your biggest challenge over all these years as an ER doc? I probably balance in life, you know, uh, because you always want to balance your family and your career. So, you know, sometimes the career would rise up and, you know, I always had the, um, really the philosophy of family first. You, You must have family first, right? And so I always had that philosophy. However, with that said, you know, there's times when my career mattered a lot and I and my family had to basically accommodate me and my career and other times where you know my family I had to say no to things so I think the balance is really hard uh, especially for women I feel like they you know that pull and tug for your family and your children is really strong so to me that was the greatest challenge the other thing is just I think overcoming stereotypes I do believe that people, you know, saw me as a, a young blonde woman and to try to take me seriously was a little bit of a challenge. I often had my my patients, even after I'd done all this great stuff for them, they'd say, when is my doctor going to be Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, sir or ma'am, I am your doctor and uh, I'm here to help you. You know, so I just, I, I kind of let that roll off. And I think that's good because if you don't, then, you know, you tend to get more burnout. You don't feel as much joy. And for me, I realize that my role is not to cure everyone, but to make whatever happened to them just a little bit better. 
And you have. I mm -hmm. mean, it, honestly, you've saved thousands and thousands and thousands of lives, and your work will continue to save thousands of lives. If you had to reflect back <laughs> on your career and pick, like, one of the really shiny moments <laughs> that, I mean, I, 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 I would maybe say it's when they made you a legend, but, <laughs> but, but maybe you had another one I don't know about. Well, one, I, I would, well, there's several. One is um, when I won a Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, I'm going to get emotional, named after my mentor. That, uh, it's like you come full circle, you know? So for me, you can tell I get emotional when I talk about it because I think he believed in me, although it was very difficult at first because he was like super critical because he wanted me to learn uh, certain skills. But I think when I got the James S. Seidel Award for Lifetime Achievement from uh, the AAP, that was it. I mean, there's others, but I think that really drove it home to me. Today, medicine is going through such challenging you know, issues, and, you know, a lot of young students are being discouraged from yeah. going into medicine. What would you have to say to those? I would say if you have a passion for it, you should go for it. I, you know, many people say, well, I don't have the grades. Well, you can get the grades. You know, I think use uh, counselors and tutors and things to help you if you can't do it. I, I, I feel like Medicine is really a calling. It's a passion to help others. And if you have that passion, medicine is really a wonderful career. I mean, I learn something every day that I practice, so it does bring me joy. Is it hard? And especially, you know, during the pandemic, it was really hard. I mean, we've, you know, I had to see patients. I didn't know if I was going to get it. Was I going to die, too? But the bottom line is, is you're there to serve. And I think, um, so work hard, okay? Uh, work with others, get a mentor. You know, we've both been mentored in our lives, uh, both for each other, right? And yeah. uh, by others. And um, my feeling is it's, it's a great career, medicine. It's a wonderful passion. You have great respect, great responsibility. And so you just gotta be able to take that on. Yeah, and you know, in, in addition to mentors, friendship. Yeah. I mean, we've literally been lifelong friends. We've gone through some really hard times and some really great times together. And having that kind of support in your life, it, it, it's invaluable. I mean, it yeah. really is. Yeah, you hold your friends and family close, you know. And in that's fact, been... <laughs> I'm going to share a funny little story. One day, Marianne came over to my house visiting and said, you know, I think I'd like to get married again. You know any guys? <laughs> and sure enough, I said, I actually know the perfect man for you. And she's been married how many years now? Oh, wow. Uh, we've been married. Uh, well, this will be 24 years. 24 year. years. And um, it was one of my greatest joys was being able to introduce you to that lovely man. So. And he had to work at it, too. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't sold right away, I have to say. But, uh, um, but I, I like to intervene a little bit. Um, all right, so Gauss, you've had this amazing career. You've won, I don't I, like I looked at the, uh, the awards that you won. Uh -huh. What's next? 
God, it's such a great <laughs> question. I would, you know, I have um, a couple of grant national grants that I'm working on, so I really would like to, you know, see that through. And then I don't know. I'm I'm looking for my next adventure. Um, I probably we'll see. Uh, I um, have some thoughts about. Um, really getting more involved in politics. Uh, I also, which is interesting, right? No, that, I know. We talk different? about politics a lot, you and I. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like I, I would like to give back more to my community. You know, I certainly have given to my community in the large sense, the medical community as well um, as locally, but I think I would really like uh, to, to have that give back. But with that said, I'm going to be working on a couple big federal grants, and so I'm really excited about that. And, uh, you know, pass the baton on and continue to mentor people towards their careers. Yeah, well, I have to say, probably when you and I both started in our careers, we had no idea the <laughs> yeah. magnitude of, of what it actually was going to become. And I am so incredibly proud of you. Hmm. And, uh, and I'm proud of you too, Bill. <laughs> and, and we've had a great, great, great run. And I think we're going to keep on running. Yeah, let's do it, Bill. Okay. I yeah. think, as uh, a friend of mine said, I think you have another job in you, Marianne. <laughs> right? So don't just retire. We both gotta... believe this one. You can rest when you're dead. <laughs> Anyway, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for doing this. And I have to give a great big thank you to the Hollywood Citizen Theater for letting us film in this beautiful facility. If you would like to help support the Salvation Army, please watch this next little clip. Dr. Bill, over and out. Love doesn't discriminate. It doesn't pick and choose. When there's so much to fight against, love fights for. When others flee, love runs toward. And when darkness prevails, love doesn't despair. It never feels too small or too weak or too powerless to help. Love knows its worth and remembers its strength. Love isn't pro this or pro that, but proactive and protective. It's never quick to rage, but always quick to courageous compassion. Love gives everything and expects nothing. For 156 years, the Salvation Army has loved all who feel lost. With your help, we'll never stop. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, Go to LeapFoundation.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash LeapFoundation or on Instagram at LeapFoundation. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.